Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, then it's time to run and drive mm-hmm, with the Game Changers. And this is where the best run and drive. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. We have a quote from jazelauto.com. I don't attempt to pronounce that. I'll just spell it. And here's the quote. Despite the condescension of older generations and many industries, millennials uh-huh, are emerging as the future of the auto industry. Well, my goodness, what's that all about? So let's take a look at what we're discussing today. Every generation has its own approach to work, to what we consume, what we buy, to technology, to life in general. Come on, whatever generation you, our listeners around the world, are part of, whatever demographic cohort is the official word, you know, you approach things different from maybe the other cohorts. And this impacts the automotive industry in many ways. Yes, this is the future of cars with game changers, so that's what we're focusing on. Automotive today needs to stay relevant. It needs to stay up to date. It needs to stay nimble and flexible. The industry is changing almost by the minute. What does this require? Automotive needs, excuse me, new approaches to attract, maintain, and develop the skills of the younger workforce. We'll just leave the word younger in there and not say age group. And, ah, this may be even more important. Automotive needs to attract a new generation of buyers who may have different perspectives on mobility. Do you really need to have that car in the garage or parked out front? Whose keys are they? Are you sharing a ride? Are you sharing a car? Is it subscription? So many different business models. Are OEMs today aligned with this shift? They're transforming whether they like it or not. What's their position on this? We have a very special panel today. We're calling it multi-generational. We have a Gen Xer. We have a Gen Yer. I hope I'm saying that right. And we have a Gen Zer. And a bonus, you get me, a baby boomer. And we're going to discuss, confirm, and maybe even debunk common stereotypes around the behaviors popularly associated with each generation, may not be true, and each generation's relationship with automotive. Our perspective is the U.S., but I bet you this is global. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very happy to be here. And our topic today is the automotive industry, attracting talent and buyers across the generations. Let me tell you who my three special panelists are. They will tell us when I introduce them, please, which generation you're representing so everybody knows. First up in a moment, we'll be speaking with Judy Cubis. Global Director for Automotive and IMNC at SAP. Judy, what generation are you here to represent today, please? Uh, the Gen X generation. Gen X, thank you very much. Just wanted to get that clear. And now Miranda Labate is with us. She's a marketer with an affinity for technology, blogging, and social media. She's an early talent at SAP, also supporting automotive and IMNC industry business units. Miranda, welcome. What generation are you here for? Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I am here representing Gen Z today. Okay, Gen Z. And then our third panel, I'm writing this down in my notes. 
Gen Z. Want to make sure I get this right? Our third panelist is Ashwin Manapali, part of the SAP Automotive team. Ashwin, welcome. What is your generation you're presenting for today or you're representing? I am Gen Y. Okay, and I already self-identified as a baby boomer. I think there's a couple of cohorts in there in between that we we aren't including, but I think we have a really good spread. So welcome to our panelists. Let's start off, as we always do, with the opening quote each panelist selects. If you aren't familiar with the show, with the Game Changes format, each panelist sends me a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, and then they interpret the quote and tell us what it has to do with the topic in their own words. So first up is Judy. Cubis and Judy has selected I love this line it's from a David Bowie quote David Robert Jones 1947 to 2016 left us way too soon English singer songwriter and actor David Bowie considered one of the most influential musicians of the entire 20th century he was an innovator very visual his music and stage craft had a huge impact on popular music 10 platinum albums in the UK 11 gold 8 silver 11 number 1 albums in the US 5 platinum and 6 Nine gold in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee in 1996. Here's the quote. You know I'd get to it eventually, Judy. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Turn and face the strange by David Bowie. Judy Kubis, officially welcome and tell us, what in the world does this quote have to do with our topic today, please? Thank you, Bonnie. I, and I was thinking about buying cars and how that's changed over my life, sort of buying cars in England and then you know, sort of buying cars all the way uh, through to today. This is the song that popped into my head, you know, that it's changed so much. And David Bowie was just one of my favorite artists. I loved his music. I loved his performances. And I agree with you. He left us way too soon. He certainly did. So so tell me something. <clears throat> Turn and face the strange. Do you think this is on the minds of, of industry leaders, the giants, the automotive manufacturers who've been around for so long, Judy? Do you think they wake up one morning and say, dang, and that's not probably the word they're using, dang, it's getting strange out there. We got to do something about this, or we not? We may not. We may be the next the next uh, Kodak of the, of the automotive industry. What's, what's your thought on, is this something that's on their mind? all the time now, Judy? I think, I don't know if strange is the right the right word exactly, but I think it's changed so much. You know, it's, I don't think any, any of us could have imagined, you know, when I first started buying cars, I won't say how long ago, you know, that it would change into the way it is now, that there's so many different ways to do it, leasing through the internet, you know, hiring by the hour, hail services, ride hailing services. I don't think anyone could have imagined the changes. And I don't think anyone could have imagined the changes in the actual vehicles, the amount of technology and the, you know, the innovation that's gone into the cars now as far as safety features and things like that. So I think just the amount of changes probably making them real a little bit. I think so. I, I think some of them are probably saying... Wow, what's going on here? Okay, we'll leave that one. Thank you, Judy. And we appreciate your being here. And now let's go to our Gen Z-er, Miranda LeBate. Miranda has sent us a quote from Jordan Burnt. 
Peterson, still very much alive, born in 1962, a Canadian clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. And his first book was, in 1999, The Maps of Meaning, The Architecture of Belief. And his second book, last year in 2018, published 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. I think chaos is a wonderful word for our show today. Moreda has sent us this quote from Jordan Peterson. To master a new technology, you have to play with it. Miranda, love to hear your interpretation of this and officially welcome. How are you? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm great. Um, So I'm personally a fan of Jordan Peterson, and in his quote, he's actually referencing how he took his books and his lectures and started utilizing YouTube um, as a platform to deliver them, and it kind of blew up. Um, And I think that quote represents kind of the handle that my generation as well as myself has on technology that I grew up playing with it. (laughs) You know, um, Facebook Mm -hmm. was something that was fun. And now I have more of an insight into how you can utilize that to monetize things. Um, And when, you know, either new business models or even new technologies come out, I kind of have a frame of reference just from growing up and playing with different technologies Um, you know, how I could integrate that into whatever goals I have at the time. So I think it's, I think it's a solid representation of our, our, uh, in terms of Gen Z relationship with technology. Very, very interesting. How do you feel about being called Gen Z? Give us a little background. Just, I don't really know much about your generation. Miranda, what, what is it about you that makes you a special cohort that we're giving you a label, if you don't mind? Sure. So I'm kind of on the cusp. I'm pushing it a little. <laughs> I'm a little bit okay. older for, for a Gen Z. Um, but, you know, I still do represent. I actually just found out I represent a Gen Z. I thought I was a millennial this whole time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the, the, way, the way they reference in terms of um, certain buying behaviors and stereotypes, it's a lot around interaction, a lot of influence by social media, um, super high interest in quality of online experience, um, very short attention span. Those are those are all stereotypes. And honestly, I mean, I, maybe I'll talk about it later. But I do, I do find myself, um, you know, comparing it to someone like my father, who's a baby boomer. Um, mm-hmm. Very different buying styles, for sure, for sure. Very interesting. Is your father in shock about what's happening with cars? Are are you with all of these new models? Just quickly, Miranda, what do you he what do you is yeah. yeah. So I have an interesting perspective. My father actually works in the industry. He's an automotive um, retailer. He's a used car. Ah. He owns his own. <laughs> yeah. So I had a lot of um, a lot of insight, kind of you know, different from what we work with here at SAP, but that that retail side, right? Um, and I can see how these technologies are disrupting his business. He's honestly, he's struggling. He might be listening right now. I'm sorry, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, dad, welcome to the show. Your daughter's doing great. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. I'm I'm very impressed. So that's where your interest in automotive comes from, from your, your roots. Very, very interesting. Well, we're very happy to have you on the show and I have to credit you with doing a lot of the legwork, um, and the driving work for putting these shows together, Miranda. It's always wonderful to work with you. And now you're on a panel and it's about time. So thank you very much. Looking forward (laughs) to a lot more. 
Oh, my pleasure. And now let's talk to our Jen Wire. I wonder if he's asking why all the time. Aswin Manapali at SAP has sent us a quote from Nikki Lauda. Ashwin, I read his bio last night on Wikipedia, and it, it is beyond a profile in courage. Uh, let me give the background. Andreas Nicolas Nikki, N-I-K-I Lauda, L-A-U-D-A, 1949 to 2019. He just passed away this uh, last month in, in May. Was an Austrian... Formula One driver, three-time F1 World Drivers Champion. He won in 1975, 77, 84, and an aviation entrepreneur, the only driver in F1 history to be a champion for both Ferrari and McLaren, considered one of the greatest F1 drivers. He founded and ran three airlines, Lauda Air, Nikki, and Lauda. Boy, that was creative naming. He was a bombardier business aircraft brand ambassador and a consultant and team manager for Jaguar Formula Run Racing. And if you anybody wants to look him up, it's N-I-K-I-L-A-U-D-A. This man was almost burned alive in Grand Prix crashes several times, close to death, inhaled toxic fumes, suffered severe burns, and typically he was back racing six to eight weeks later. An amazing amount. And there's a very interesting story about his battle with James Hunt, who was another driver, dramatized in the film Rush in 2013. I won't go into it, but what a fascinating man. Here's the quote. I, you know I get to it eventually, Ashwin. Here's the quote from Nicky Lauda. From success, you learn absolutely nothing from failure and setbacks, conclusions can be drawn. Ashwin Manapali, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie, and uh, I think it's a great quote. Fantastic. Tell me, how does it apply to our topic of, of what is the perspective of each of the cohorts on our show today for automotive and what can automotive learn from listening to you, Judy, and Miranda, and me? Go ahead. For sure. I think it's key to remember that even though we're entering strange times and we have to face those challenges, not every one of those bets that we're going to make in the automotive industry are going to be successes. So it's absolutely imperative that organizations become learning organizations, constantly testing hypotheses, constantly trying out new things, seeing what the failures are and learning and adapting. I think that's the way that we kind of short chart a way to a very sustainable future in this industry. Very interesting. Um, do you think there's such a thing as resting on their laurels, Ashwin? That's a phrase that seems to have been the the Achilles heel, if you will, if I'm using that properly, the, the falling down of so many long-term, shall we say, legacy players in different industries. Is that, yeah, we're doing it right. We still have buyers. Yeah, people still like what our cars and trucks look like. And yeah, we don't really need to do anything much. Do you think that that success is keeping some legacy industry leaders, I'll say, whether they're manufacturers, they're retailers like Miranda's father, keeping them sitting still and not moving forward with the ch-ch-ch-change quote from, from Judy and David Bowie? What do you think? I think so. And I think I have a unique perspective on this because my generation went through the credit crisis and we sort of came of age during that whole period when entire industries were being shaken up. And we realized pretty early on that kind of life that we thought we're going to have wasn't going to be the life that we're going to enjoy. So Mm. there's an incredible amount of disruption with the Gen Y guys. And I think for us, we have this unique perspective of if you rest on your laurels, it might help for the next quarter, next year, but ultimately long-term, you're going to be eaten alive. So there's a kind of almost uh, 
innate desire, I think, among Gen Y guys to just make sure that we kind of constantly keep adapting, failing, learning, and so on. Very interesting. Thank you for that. And and tell me something. How do we characterize your generation? You just mentioned the credit crisis. What else do we need to know about who your generational cohort is, Ashwin? Just give us a little more. I think we're kind of the transitional phrase. We sort of laid the railroad between the baby boom generation and the Instagram generation. So we have some kind of mixture of both feature sets. I mean, we kind of To be honest, we invented phrases like LOL and all of this other stuff. So we do have a certain kind of legacy there. Now we know who to blame. (laughs) Guilty as charged. I'm I'm sorry I had to do that. Forgive me. Go ahead. So we're in the middle there. And I think it's very interesting because we have traits of both. But for us, a lot of the things that, you know, Miranda talked about are important. And also the things that Judy talked about are important. So I guess that makes it a little bit more complex to peers. Well, I like I like the complexity. Thank you very much. Um, I'm just going to throw in my boomer representation here, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't mind. I think we still love our cars. I live in a 55-plus community. I'm, I'm dating myself there, but that's the truth. And there is... At least one, maybe two cars in the driveways. Trucks, I'm in North Carolina. Trucks are very popular. People well into their 70s have beautifully decorated trucks. And the new means of transportation, I may shock the three of you. Anybody have a guess what's being becoming popular in, in these types of communities where people want to get around, shall we say, in a lightweight way? Judy, Miranda, Ashwin, anybody have a guess what other vehicle I've never seen on a personal basis before until I moved here? What do you think people are, are owning and driving and decorating, and I mean decorating. Judy, Miranda, Ashwin, take a guess. Golf cups? Yes! That's it. That's it. That's it. Was that you looking down the block kind of saying, where does Bonnie live this morning around 8 o'clock? Did I see you, Judy? I think you were here. Yes, golf carts. We have parades for Memorial Day, for Veterans Day, and they take out their golf carts and they put little red, white, and blue flags on them and special toot-toot horns and, and they get two drivers in the front and somebody sitting on the box in the back backwards waving as they go up and down the blocks. I'm not making fun, but I have never... I could I'm from New York, from Long Island. Are you kidding? A golf cart would be run over in 32 seconds, wherever it is. It's very, very popular here. And people have little replicas of Model Ts that they've made. They call them the Shriners Parade Car. I have a friend who has, has built one of those with a five-horsepower uh, Briggs & Stratton engine. Absolutely fascinating to me. So so uh, automotive and mobility has taken on something different. But back to what I was saying, I still drive my beloved sports car. I just bought another one. We're doing 80 on an average basis, 80 miles an hour on the roads here, on the highways. You, it's not for the weak of heart. And, and if you can't deal with it, get out, get over, pull over, or have somebody else drive you. That's all I can say. 80 miles an hour on the average speed, on the average day on Route 40, Route 540. It's quite an interesting experience. In New York, you're lucky you could do 35 on an average day on the Long Island Expressway. So we love our cars. That's all I'm going to say. So let's get to know, we've already gotten to know quite a bit about our three panelists, but now we're going to do a little bit differently. Number one, Judy, I want to know, where are you today in the world? Number two, you know what's coming. What's your favorite drink that makes you so smart and so interested in your work? And number three, just tell us a little bit about your role at SAP. Judy, you're up. Cool. So I'm 
in Palo Alto. I'm in our SAP officer, which is a gorgeous view. I'm looking out over hills, and we've actually got a vegetable garden and uh, some beehives, I think, in our campus, which is pretty awesome. Mm. Um, I'm currently drinking lemon and ginger tea. Uh, I've sort of given up coffee for a bit, so I'm drinking green tea, which is Mm. remarkably soothing. So I'm enjoying that at the moment. And uh, with Miranda, we're responsible for marketing with the automotive and IMC industries at SAP, which is a two really interesting industries given all of the changes and the disruption with digitalization and all of the innovations that are happening in both of those industries. Thank you very much. Very interesting. So how's the tea going for you? And how long do you think you're going to give up coffee, Judy? We really want to know. What's the goal? I don't know. It's just not tasting good anymore. So just Ah. see how it goes, you know. I gave it up for a while, too, but my my replacement is a banana milkshake with a little bit of ice cream in it and 1% milk and a little bit of agave syrup and half a banana, and that really hits the spot. And So I've told you what my drink is, but it's still water for the show. Thank you, Judy. Miranda, you're up next. Where in the world are you today? What's your favorite drink that powers you to be so smart and do your job so well? And what is your job these days? What are you doing at SAP? Awesome. Thanks, Bonnie. So I am from west of Philadelphia, born and raised, to use the quote, Um, and that is where I am today in my mini home office here. Um, Not much of a view, no beehives, Mm -hmm. no no garden. Um, So I I work with Judy pretty pretty closely. We're kind of in a mentor-mentee relationship supporting automotive and industrial machinery and components here at SAP. Um, And my favorite drink... (laughs) is bubble tea. So my Ooh. my bank account doesn't love it, my diet doesn't <laughs> love it, and I know you'll you'll do your research on what it is cuz I'm not even sure, but it's tasty. <laughs> you know, I've seen bubble tea, Miranda, uh, when I was in New York, I I wasn't that far away from from a local version of Chinatown we used to call it in Flushing, New York, a huge population of Asians and bubble tea was being sold on almost every corner. I think I tried it once. It's got little little uh, pearls in it like tap Let me read it, but you know I'm going to look it up. Bubble tea is a Taiwanese (laughs) tea-based drink invented in Taiwan and Taichung in the 1980s. Recipes contain tea of some kind, flavors of milk, as well as sugar. Toppings include chewy tapioca balls, popping boba, fruit jelly, grass jelly, agar jelly, and puddings are often added. It's been called B-O-B-A, boba milk tea, boba tea, pearl meat milk tea and tapioca tea very interesting everybody go look it up and I just found a website on Yelp here for the 10 best bubble teas in Durham North Carolina where I'm living and I'm not going to check that out okay and there's even an article about how bad is bubble tea for you we won't go there and we won't do that to you I promise thank you Miranda good to know bubble tea drink on drink up and now our Gen Y or Ashwin Manapali where are you today what's your favorite drink and what is your role so I am in lovely Philadelphia, and right now I'm actually continuing the whole Asia theme. I am drinking some red tea that I got in Hong Kong, and it is Ooh. really good. It keeps me going like the Energizer Bunny, so love that, and always uh, have a cup lying around. And at SAP, I've, in the automotive team, 
I focus a lot on strategic projects and special projects. A lot of these involve around, you know, making sure that we're able to articulate our customer stories, being able to say that, okay, these are our wins and how to talk about how we got those wins. And so that's the key focus at SAP right now. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Red tea. You want me to look that up or you want to tell us, is that just a, a flavor of tea or a color of tea? or I've got, Oh, it's rooibos. Is that correct? Rooibos? R-O-O-I-B-O-S? Yes? Yep, that certainly is. And uh, apparently it's from the s- south of China. And Actually, it grows in South it. Africa. Oh. It's from South is Africa. It? Yes. No, no, okay. I, I think we might be talking about different things then. But okay. in any case, I, I love... Uh, any kind of tea. So it's a great kind of thing. That okay, here we on. go. Officially, uh, in English, red tea normally refers to rooibos, R-O-O-I-B-O-S, tea. Red tea may also refer to black tea, referred to in Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Bengali, Assamese, and other languages as literally red tea, and I can't pronounce the characters. The completely oxidized bud leaves of Camellia sinensis, from which black tea is made, hibiscus tea, and red tea was from uh, the title of a 1969 English-language novel by Paul Harris Daniel. We'll just leave that one alone. So there are variations, of course, and maybe it is rooibos, maybe it's not. Our listeners are ha- are welcome to uh, to tweet to us on your interpretation of red tea at hashtag SAP Radio, and we'll read them on the air if we find anything during the show here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. You already know that. I'm a boomer. You know that. I love my little red, little red top, rag top, pearl white 370Z. It really goes, and 80 miles an hour is just the start for me and my little my little car. I'm drinking water today because I'm not allowed to go anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And I have another show an hour after this one. So that's all I'm going to tell you. We're having a very lively conversation here, as we should. One of my favorite shows. Don't tell the other host, Miranda. The other uh, the other sponsors. The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Our topic is the automotive industry. How is it attracting talent and buyers across the generations? Are they resting on their laurels? Are they keeping up with trends? Are they are they fully aware of what they need to do to stay relevant, nimble, and in the moment and have a future focus driving ahead? We're speaking today with Judy Cubis, Miranda Labate, and Ashwin Manapali. We're going to take a very quick break, 90 seconds, for the pause that refreshes. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening. 
listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking about different generational cohorts, specifically Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z, and their impact on the automotive industry. How will the industry attract young talent? And that's a relative, very subjective term. How is it going to stay relevant with buyers across the generations? We have three people who are representatives, one from each of the generations I mentioned, Judy Cubis at SAP, Miranda LeBate at SAP, and Ashwin Manapali. And uh, Judy is Gen X, Miranda is Gen Z, and Ashwin is Gen Y. And I, Bonnie D. Graham, am the boomer generation, trying to stay in the background, but you know it's very hard. We're going to have the format a little bit different than we usually do. I'm going to pick three Topics from Judy Cubis's list first of what she sent me and ask her as a, as a representative of Gen X what these mean to her. Then I'm going to pick three from Miranda's list from Gen Z and three from Ashwin. And then we'll open it up and talk about if they want to comment on the differences in their generational approach. So Judy, first let's talk about car choice. I'm just going to open this up to you. What, what does car choice mean to you today in 20, almost 2020? Judy, go ahead. I mean, I think. Uh, car choice is dependent not only of your generation, but where you live. Uh, mm-hmm. And being based out in California, I moved across to electric cars about four years ago. And that was purely, uh, it was a convenience and a cost perspective. With the, the subsidies that were happening, it was cheaper to run an electric car, at least an electric car, than put gas in uh, sort of um, my larger gas car. So, and I also got to go into the commuter lane. So, <clears throat> my choice was pretty practical as far as money and convenience. And I was uh, reading some, I was watching a video from Goldman Sachs earlier in the week, and they were saying that Gen X has generally spent a lot less than the baby boomers on cars, sort of. Three per, I think it was 3.5% of their income versus over 5.5% of the baby boomers, which is a significant uh, percentage when you think about the automotive companies. So I think we're a lot more, I don't know, I'm, I'm personally not particularly attached to the cars, and I do see mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, my generation, you know, they keep their cars for a lot longer. You know, they're not going for the flashy cars. I don't know if that's just California or our generation. So, I mean, I think really my my whole thing about the car is does it is it fit for purpose? It's not really I'm I'm not looking for the flashy um model or the flashy um brand, but I just want to be able to afford it, run it and make sure that it does um what I want. And especially with electric cars, I want the convenience of being able to charge it. So, I do use a lot of the apps to monitor whether charging stations with the extended range. That's not as pressing as it used to be, but that's definitely something I um, keep my, um, my eye on. Thank you. Very good point about moving to electric, and it depends on where you live. I like that, Judy. Connectivity of cars. What's your thought on that as a representative of Gen X? So, again... It's interesting. It's not just your generation, but where you came from. I started mm-hmm. uh, my career in the chemical industry, and one of the things that we talk a lot about is risk. 
um, and people perceive chemical plants as a very risky place and when there are accidents they're usually catastrophic but more people are killed driving a car than are ever killed on chemical plants. So I've always kept that perspective in mind. So I really um, appreciate a lot of the technology that's currently being put into modern cars as far as the indication if someone's in your blind spot, you know, notification if you're getting too close, all of the mirrors to help you park. I think anything that can be done to improve the safety of cars and driving and is is a good thing because I still think it's one of the most dangerous things we do and the fact that mm-hmm. most people don't appreciate that makes it even more risky. So I, especially now where I'm at the age where both my kids and my friends' kids are all starting to drive, that's even more forefront of your mind because they're starting to drive and everyone knows that teenagers are not necessarily the most rational of people, you know. So I think that the more car, the more connected cars can be, and as they, you know, even if it's semi-autonomous, you know, making sure they notify you if you're going too fast or you're maintaining mm-hmm. gaps will help. So I'm, I'm a real fan of um, all the improvements in cars and the fact that as they move towards autonomous, I'm very hopeful that safety on the roads will improve. I think we're all very hopeful, Judy, especially with, yes, autonomous. It's still still scary, the concept for a lot of people. Novel, exciting, interesting, but scary. And third up, what do you, what do you feel about ride-hailing services today, Judy? I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty big fan of those. Again, I think it comes back to my perspective of safety. Um, you know, I think um, going to strange places, not strange, back to the word strange, are we? Going to <laughs> yes, we places, are. You know, different places. I much prefer to use services like that than rent a car. I, I really enjoy taking them sort of round in the neighborhood. I, I know a lot of people don't talk about... Um, I, I sort of feel that even if you have one drink or if you're tired late at night, it's much more safer to have someone drive you than it is to drive yourself. I think it sets a good example for um, teenagers that are coming up. So I'm a big fan of them. I I was I, I know everyone when Uber was going through its challenges as far as um, you know the especially for female engineers. I sort of, mm-hmm. I definitely flipped a lot more between Uber and Lyft. Um, so I think how people, how people, how companies are perceived, you know, from an ethical perspective does impact, you know, which companies you choose to support with your business. Thank you very much. Very well put, Judy. Let's move on to our Gen Z-er, Miranda LeBate. Miranda, let's uh, get your take on ride-hailing services. What does your generation, how do you feel about it? Are you as concerned uh, about safety, uh, about uh, about convenience? What's top of mind for you? Do you use those services? Miranda? Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. I would not be able to live without those services. Um, as Judy mentioned, I think it's partially geographical. I do live in the city. Um, and, you know, I, I live in a more suburbanly structured area of the city. But if I'm trying to get, you know, somewhere on the weekend, like a bar, I'm always using 
a ride hailing service. For me, um, I find that the customer service and the safety of ride hailing services was better than the alternative, which is um, public transportation in a lot of areas in the city of Philadelphia, as well as um, taxis, which were so unreliable. So Uber and Lyft came out when I was in my second year of school. Maybe, maybe not, you know, I shouldn't say came out of merge, but they were popularized in Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, and available. And, you know, my freshman year, I, I would call cabs for work that wouldn't show up. Um, there was always unsafe driving. There was really irritable drivers and hostile behavior. I felt very mm. uncomfortable. With Uber mm-hmm. and Lyft, I love the idea that, you know, you, this driver has a rating. I can share my location with my friends so they know exactly where I am. Um, I think those safety features are what really makes it for me, especially being a younger female traveling alone throughout the city often. Um, it's always mm-hmm. something, you know, I was a little hesitant to adopt it, but it, it was a lot safer than my alternatives. Very interesting. Safety keeps popping up. I agree. Let's talk about something we didn't talk about with Judy. Let's talk about subscription-based services, the megatrend in automotive. How does Gen Z relate to that, Miranda? Sure. Um, So, you know, I I don't know if I'm speaking for my generation, but I use them for everything. <laughs> um, groceries, beauty products, clothing, my, my dog's food. Um, you know, it, it's just stuff that I, I, I need on a regular basis. I, I subscribe, they send it to me, and I'm done. Um, so I, I don't know with a vehicle how I would feel about that. Um, I have a bit of a unique perspective when it comes to my vehicle. I, so one of the stereotypes around Gen Z is that we have a lot less brand loyalty than any of the previous generations. Um, but for me, I am a Jeep girl through and through. I knew from when I was young, I wanted my bright yellow Jeep Wrangler and I wanted it, you know, <laughs> this way and get it lifted and X, Y, Z. And, and that's not something that I share necessarily with my generation, but coming back to subscription models, I'm very particular about my car. I don't know how, or, or even shared vehicles, I don't know how comfortable I would feel just in terms of logistics. Um, like I like to keep my car very clean. <laughs> I like to modify my car. Those are options that I wouldn't have with those services. But yeah. um, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, the future when I would have maybe um, a more <laughs> family-oriented vehicle rather than, you know, my personal fun off-roading vehicle. Um, uh, I would still, I would still have the same considerations. If I had children in a shared vehicle, I was describing to a vehicle, you know what, you wonder what kind of new, um, issues would, would form from, from that kind of model, um, in terms of, you know, realistically being in the vehicle. That's what I think. Okay. Thank you. I'd love to hear about your yellow, I think a tricked out Jeep. I find that very interesting. Miranda, let's talk about uh, young people, people in your generation, Gen Z, entering the workforce in the automotive industry. What's your take on that? I know you have an item here about introducing STEM earlier, S-T-E-M, in the education system so women will have the background to pursue certain aspects of automotive for their careers. What's your thought on that? Absolutely. So in a previous internship role with SAP, I worked in University Alliances slash NextGen. 
Um, and what we did was we provided the learning materials to universities um, to get some SAP curriculum in the classrooms. And I actually was able to recruit my alma mater, Marple Newtown High School, um, to come to one of the events, a group of young girls attending a STEM event to get hands-on experience at SAP in our Newtown Square campus. That's something that I'm so passionate about because myself, I pursued marketing and entrepreneurship in university. And I think I'm, you know, totally born to be in business and all of that. But I do wish that I had earlier exposure Mm -hmm. to STEM-related things. I'm talking back in high school. Um, And how I feel that affects the automotive industry is, you know, we all talk about changing workforce and we need to be able to recruit people from, you know, high tech companies like Google and, you know, Amazon now um, to our own, you know, automotive industry. And that's not something you classically think. And I think a solid way to do that is just increasing the amount of people that are studying STEM careers and understanding the different opportunities that are there. So, you know, I'm speaking from my education, you know, public education west of Philadelphia. It was, it was you know, average, I would say. But nonetheless, um, I wish there was just more, more opportunity for students to understand the, the availability. You know, if you're interested in cars, if you're interested in manufacturing or, you know, um, chemical-related things, there's ways to go about it where you're in the industry um, and you're, you know, it, it's a different approach and it's a gap that needs to be filled. Thank you very much. Good to get to know you. I, I love the idea of getting STEM in there earlier, and it's so important for so many different types of careers. Thank you, Ashwin Manapali. You're up next. We have time for you. So let's talk for you. Let's talk about a couple of yeah. For number one, you say you love cars. Tell me why you love cars. Are you representative of Gen Y? And what do you mean by I love cars? Talk to me. So it's a pretty kind of blanket statement, but I think that there is no better feeling in life than revving up an engine and taking a very tricky turn. The way that you feel, or at least I feel, doing that, it's an incredible feeling. It's like you start to feel a little bit like Mickey Louder, or you imagine that you're him. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way. I, I absolutely love doing that kind of thing. But I think what's interesting is that even though, again, we're coming back to this theme over and over again of being transitional, even though I love the act of driving, I'm a huge fan in ride-hailing because, again, the convenience of it and all of these other factors sometimes make, especially in an urban setting, Mm -hmm. the hassle of owning a car, especially in terms of all the fees, the parking, and everything else, ride-hailing becomes a much more competitive offering in those settings. Okay, let's talk about, and I love the feel of a car as well. Nothing more pleasurable than getting in my Z on a nice day when it's not 100 degrees out, putting the top down, letting my red hair just blow in the breeze, and getting on Highway 540 or 40 and just just gunning it a little bit. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. I agree. I'll ask each of you a question about whether you're going to have keys to a, your car, your own car, or somebody else's car in a sharing model by 2025, that'll be our, our crystal ball question. Let's talk about ride hailing. Um, how quickly did you adopt ride hailing platforms like Uber, Ashwin, and what do you feel about them today? So I originally came from New York, and the subway ah. was essentially the only way you go. It's like I used to live on the sixth train. But <laughs> when I moved to San Francisco for a little bit, I thought I was going to walk everywhere because on map it looks pretty flat. 
Then I realized there are these things called hills in San Francisco that go up <laughs> and down and make walking and biking a little bit harder. So I downloaded uh, Uber and uh, Lyft at the same time, and I found them incredibly convenient for all the reasons Miranda talked about. The safety, the efficiency, the UI and user experience were just truly amazing. And I think the price point is a bit competitive. But that's an open question that remains because a lot of it is being subsidized by, you know, private investors and now the public market. The open question, and I think it's going to be very interesting to figure this out in the future, is if they get autonomous right, they're going to get the cost structure in place. So I think that will make it a very competitive offering. But that's a big if, and that's the future we're going to have to see, you know, how it goes on for the next few years. I I think you just said something so iconic, Ash, when you said, I learned there are these things called hills in San Francisco. Judy, you want to react to that one? Were you laughing as well as I was, Judy? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, they, they they do take you by surprise. I will give us in that. I mean, you know that they're there, but they're harder to get up and down than you expect, I think. So, <laughs> although there you I, go. I didn't really ever think that anyone thought San Francisco was flat, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, call me guilty because I know all my geographers from Google Maps. And Google Maps <laughs> he he sits accused and he responds very well. I want to move on. We have just time for one more topic. And, and you have an interesting take on subscription-based models, Ash, when you say, I remember when Napster after it came out bruised from the lawsuits, tried to do a music subscription model where you rent content instead of owning it. Well, how does that relate to ownership of a car and music services, the subscription car and getting the music services you want? Help me out with this. Ashwin? So there used to be a time where you owned something and it meant something, right? Like you owned Mm -hmm. a car, you washed it, you took care of it. And I think it's the same sort of emotion that you get from going to a record store, buying a vinyl and being like, hey, this is the album art, this is everything, I'm going to take care of it. So there was this kind of real merit to ownership and an emotion to that ownership. But I think as it becomes more commodified, people start going to more urban regions, the experience of it or the utility of it starts to take over. So I think we're going to start seeing people care more about getting from point A to point B as opposed to hearing that vroom of an engine. And I think it's the same thing with music, right? They just want the experience. They want to listen to the music as opposed to being a custodian of like a large record collection. So I think that shift that happened in the past few years or in my kind of adolescence is something that's impacting literally every industry that we see. The emotion of owning something is losing its sort of bang. And I think that's something that we're going to have to come to grips with. And that's how subscription businesses are taking off. Very, very interesting. The emotion of owning something is losing its bang. Judy, do you agree with that? Let let me uh, get some points of view from the other generations on our panel today. Judy, your thoughts on that? And then I'll ask Miranda, and then we'll go to our predictions in about three minutes. Judy? Yeah, I think I, I, I would put it in a slightly, I don't know if it's slightly different perspective, but I do think the experience is what's becoming important. I think experiences are becoming more personalized or very specific to what you're trying to do at that time, and you just can't own enough stuff to do that. You know, so if you wanted to drive down Highway 1, maybe you want, you know, a car, 
you know, you want the sports car with the top down. If you're going camping, you want the big Jeep. And you can't buy, you can't, well, most people can't buy, you know, four or five cars. So I think this subscription service to give you what you want, when you want, is going to become really important. Because I find not only with cars, I really, I, I don't want the ownership. I don't want all the I don't want all the stuff and I don't want to have to I don't have the time to put all of the effort into maintaining it at the you know at the the level that I want to which means that I'm happy to pay someone else to do it to and just use the specific vehicle or whatever it is to get the experience that I want at that time. So I think, as Aslin said, I think as things become commoditized and the experience is more important, more and more people will move to subscription. And again, maybe that's a regional thing because, I mean, our, our houses are getting smaller. They're, they're moving to, especially in the urban centers, the high density. So you just don't have the room to keep either multiple vehicles or a lot of things in your house. So I think we're going to see this trend across a lot of um, industries. Thank you very much. Miranda, what's your thought? I agree. So I think uh, something I've heard in terms of the representation of this shift from, you know, people having that loyalty and excitement about things versus experience is my mom's china closet. I mean, <laughs> you have a bunch of expensive plates. Uh, that is such a foreign concept to me. <laughs> I mean, so uh, even in terms of what you see people sharing on social media, um, people are more interested in saying, you know, look where I went, look at this cool trip I've gone on, look at, you know, all of these great experiences I've had rather than, taking such a, you know, feeling great about themselves about their watch or their jewelry or whatever. I've seen that shift. Um, I mean, just, just looking at even some of like the um, perspective that older generations, again, referring to my parents hold, um, we definitely hold experiences more closely um, to heart. Very, very interesting. You mentioned your mother's china closet. I'm trying to remember the last time I had one, but I have an entire spare bedroom that I I don't have a lot of visitors, and I turned it into an antique room. My mother, who who passed away a year and a half ago, was an antique dealer and a collector of beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I turned that room into a display for what I inherited from her. And I don't go in there often, but it's loaded with memories. But, Miranda, it's like a whole room that is the china closet. I'm sorry. <laughs> you made me very self-conscious there, Ms. LeBate. So, no, but I, I treasure that. It's a little different. It's not like it's on display. I heard a comedian once when I was doing stand-up say, Plainview, Long Island, and maybe Aswin can relate to this coming from New York. Uh, Plainview, Long Island was... Was, uh, was named for the way its residents display their wealth in plain view. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I thought that was kind of funny. Judy, uh, 60 seconds predict what will change if we met again on this exact topic. Let's say 
in uh, in a year at at midpoint summer early summer 2020 will anything change about this discussion in terms of in your point of view 60 seconds how the different generations or your generation gen x relates to what we've discussed today about automotive judy 60 seconds go i so i think things change quickly but they also change slowly i mean people's buying cycles people's manufacturing cycles you know, they're, they're often longer than a year. So I, I think from a cars and a ride hailing, I think there may be uh, not too much difference. I, I mean, I think where, where people are constantly changing actually faster, I think the work environment is changing. I think where they're applying automation and connection, I think the way that companies are thinking about how they give benefits to people, how they are trying to attract people with STEM, people with minorities, and how they are looking to give people more sort of flexibility and work-life balance across their entire company. I think we'll see quite a lot of innovation in those areas that's continuous over the next 12 months. Thank you very much. Miranda LeBate, 60 seconds. That's all I've got. Gen Z, what's going to change in the next 12 months? If anything, you're allowed to say nothing. (laughs) Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I mean, something I'm hoping that will change, and I'm seeing change just from initiatives that have been put in place, is the emergence of STEM younger in um, people's lives in terms of high school courses, offerings in college, especially around women, getting more women interested in STEM careers. I think that's something we will see more of for certain, um, being that there's such a focus on it and there's initiatives. Um, another thing that I think we will see more of is kind of more utilization around the new, you know, business model of um, ride sharing. So we have stuff like food delivery based off the same model with things like Grubhub. Um, they have opportunities where during finals you could order puppies to your apartment and is it the okay. same model as ride sharing. <laughs> so I think we might see more utilization um, in different kind of industries in that respect. You know, people who can tap into that and say, hey, how can I, how can I use this? It's Thank you, Miranda. I, I need to give Ashwin 30 seconds. We're ready to close. Ashwin, 30 seconds, two sentences. What will change about automotive for your generation? 30 seconds, go. I think, I, I think that user interface and user experience is going to become so big. So even if you're a supplier, a small supplier, you're going to make sure that to have talent stick around who's been trained on the iPhone, you need to have a kind of system that is really good looking as well as highly effective. Thank you very much. I want to thank my three panelists. I really enjoyed getting to know the three of you in a very different way than our previous interactions. We've been talking about automotive industry, attracting talent and buyers across generations, and the topic was much bigger than that. Thank you, Miranda, for putting this together. So here's my call to action and a thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Seatbelt, seatbelt, seatbelt. You still need one. Okay, go out and be a game changer today, just like Judy Cubis at SAP, just like Miranda LeBay at SAP, and just like Aspen Manapali at SAP. 
We'll talk to you in about an hour right here on the Business Channel, 12 noon Eastern, with a new episode of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We're going to talk about the Equifax Data Breach 2017, and the panel includes the gentleman who was fired because of it as the CIO SVP of Equifax. Wow. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.